Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. You are listening to Inside F1 with Joe Sayward on Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Inside F1 with Joe Saywood, part of the Missed Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm here to tell you we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed. With the kind permission of our better halves, we aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. And sometimes we're wrong about being first. But we're joined by a man who has been to every Grand Prix since 1958 it's joe sayward how's it going joe you get that wrong every time but i think this one was deliberate but um yeah um yes it's uh, 88 actually but you'll get there in the end 1988 where are you i'm in mantova in italy the uh, which of course every race fan knows is the hometown of tazio nuvolare and i spent the morning at the tazio nuvolare museum which was lovely joe you shamed me this morning with your tweet you tweeted i am in and then an Italian place and said, every true race fan knows exactly what this means. And I'm sat there crying, but I'm so young, Joe. I don't, I don't know what all that it's means. Not, it's not about age. It's about knowledge. Okay. The, great, the greatest or one of the greatest racing drivers ever came from Mantova. And um, that was Tazio Nuvolari, who raced in the 1930s and, and was a legend. And he's such a legend that um, basically he has a very large museum. All to his own. Ah. So, and what were his achievements? Was he a champion? Well, he was. He was a champion in many things, but he was one of the great Grand Prix drivers of the twenties and thirties with Alfa Romeo. He won his most famous victory was probably um, at the German Grand Prix of nineteen thirty-five when he beat the um, the Silver Arrows in an Alfa mm. Romeo, which was unheard of and it was impossible, but he did it. It was a bit like what happened to Pierre Gasly at the weekend, but it wasn't as lucky. <laughs> Nuvolari <laughs> won it on um, skill and judgment. Although, to be fair to Pierre, he also drove fantastically well. So, Well, we certainly will get to that. I just want to establish where you are. Joe sounds a little different. We've done our best, but you're in a hotel room. Sorry. I'm in a hotel room in, in a town called Vigilio, or Virgilio, pardon. And Virgilio is famous for one thing. It is where the, po- the poet Virgil was born. So if you're into Roman poetry, this is the place to come. 
I may surprise you with my knowledge of Roman poetry, in fact, Mr. Sayward. And so obviously we're between Monza and Mugello, so geographically, where are you in relation to those two? Well, if you if you um, come out of Monza and turn left, um, and then you sort of head over towards Venice, but don't go all the way, and then go a little bit south. So you're ending up being north of Modena and north of Florence. So basically, I'm on the way. It's a roundabout route. Um, I didn't have any intention to come here, actually, but um, the Russian visa uh, office in Milan was so efficient that uh, I was <laughs> able to leave before planned. So I thought, well, where shall I go? And I thought, I know. I'll drive down the, the old Milamiglia route until I get to Mantua, or as we English call it, Mantova, as the Italians call it, um, and uh, and stay there for a day or two, which is what I'm doing. What? Joe, it's not all bad, is it, being a roving F1 reporter? It's fabulous. I've I've driven along the uh, the Milamiglia route. I saw the monument to the accident that stopped the Milamiglia on my way, um, and uh, I've been to all kinds of exciting places. Actually, it's um, the, 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 I, I visited the very first uh, Grand Prix track. The first Italian Grand Prix did not happen at Mons. It happened in Brescia, and I drove along part of the old track as I came down here. So, yes, it's a positive pilgrimage of motor racing things. Um, and tomorrow, I dare say, I shall pass through Modena, home of Ferrari, and, and uh, I would think probably the flags will be flying at half-mast there still, but, you know, mm. um, it is their thousandth Grand Prix this weekend. And I can, I can well, actually, it's, it's kind of funny, really, but last weekend before the race, um, they played the Italian national anthem, as they do, yeah. as everyone was lined up on the grid. And I said very quietly to somebody, well, that's the last time we'll be hearing that song today, obviously making reference to Ferrari. And then, of course, yeah. Toro, Ross, Toro Rosso or Alpha Tauri won the race. And I went, ah, I was wrong. <laughs> I think it's um, Alpha Tauri. Right. It may well be Alpha mm. Tauri, but, you know, I say it in English. I'm just a bit of a stickler for pronunciations, Joe, that's all. Yeah, you- you can be, but um, you don't pronounce everything in the language that it's meant to be pronounced in. Italia. Exactly. There is a point. Yeah. My, my point entirely. Exactly. You don't say Londra when you, when you talk about London, do you? And you don't say Leclerc when you can just say Leclerc. No, you say Leclerc. Okay. Leclerc. And, Leclerc. And Fettel. We forget as Brits, as Brits, we forget that. Italy. We no longer rule the world. Yeah, <laughs> we no longer true. rule the world. Uh, a bit sensitive, Joe. A bit soon. Too soon. Um, <laughs> we forget the passion of, of motorsport in places like France and like Italy in particular. Like It means an awful lot to, to Italy, their motorsport history and their motorsport heritage. Not right now, it doesn't, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's be nice. I'm trying to be nice about... I am, um, I am being nice. Well, I could have used the word disaster, catastrophe, or something like that. Yeah. But, you know, um, I'm just being nice. It's, it's a bad time. But for the French, the French, Pierre Gasly got a, a call from President Macron after his victory. That is, is how important it is. So, and, and the French journalists were, were raucously singing the Marseillaise in the press room as they were playing it on the podium because they've never, has, they've never had it before. It's so many years since the French won a Grand Prix. Yeah. Um, and I'd forgotten that because, of course, English was spoiled endlessly. Uh, we have drivers who win races. Yeah. So it's, it's totally normal for us. But for them, they were, they were almost teary-eyed, I'd say. You know? And, of course, Chauvin was a Frenchman, so chauvinism is still going strong. <laughs> Um, but they were they were they were raucously singing a little bunch of them because there aren't many press around these days. There are only twenty five, I think, in uh, in Monza, uh, and we'll, I believe we're dropping to ten in Russia, and that's assuming that we all get there, which may not happen either. 
Uh, I guess for some of those French journalists, that is the first time they've ever reported on a, on a French victory. Oh, absolutely, because it's, it's, as Gasly said, when somebody said, this is the first French victory since 1996, and Gasly said, that was the year I was born. <laughs> <laughs> and, then you think, and then you think, wow, yes, it is that long. Hello to our live chat, Joe. We're joined by people who uh, are, are jumping in when they should be at work. Uh, no, I'm, I'm sure they're all taking their designated lunch breaks. Uh, hello to Stuart, Andrew, Mark, Simon, and all the others scrolling past my screen. Uh, they're, they're all commenting on the pronunciations. Uh, Anton Bihil, who I'm assuming is French, uh, says Spanners, try saying paella. Right? And the trick with paella is, say it differently every time, but when anyone else says it, correct them with a slightly different pronunciation. I've been doing that to my wife for 10 years, and she's never cottoned on. Like she'll say paella, and I'll say, no, 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 it's paella. Paella. It's got no. It's got a Y in there somewhere. Ayalia. Okay, Gasly. We've got to go Ayalia. to Gasly straight away. What an Gasly. incredible victory! <laughs> Sorry, Gasly. What an incredible victory for a lad who has been um, popping up on everyone's radar a little uh, through the course of the start of the season. Has been consistent. It, it's not. It's not as much of a surprise that when there was a good result on offer, that combination of Gasly and Alpha Tauri were the ones to seize it. Um, not really, but you, you put it down probably more to the failure of others in better cars. And obviously there was a massive element of luck involved, but um, he, he drove absolutely brilliantly after luck fell in his path, whereas Lance mm. Stroll, who, who actually probably yeah. should have won the race, yeah. um, in, a, in a pink Mercedes, and, and he was actually ahead of Gasly uh, at the restart. And we knew that Lewis had to go in for a penalty. So it was Stroll's race to lose, and he duly lost it. Um, and you know, so that's the difference between a um, – well, I won't need to go anymore, really. That's the difference, isn't it? Full stop. The, the impressive thing from Gasly, even though there was no more overtakes after that restart, is he just did not put a tyre wrong. No, he, he – I mean, he, actually, on the last couple of laps, he got pretty ragged as, as um, science was coming in <laughs> in what was clearly a better car. Um, and, but science had other problems, um, and just couldn't do it. And, you know, we saw, for example, with Botas, he was just, he was nailed in there. He just couldn't do anything. Oh man, we, me and my boy, we were, we were pinned to the live timing because watching the timing screens for us has completely changed the way we watch Grand Prix. Uh, but we were just watching that gap from science to Gasly go down and you could just almost like, you could feel the desperation from the Alpha Tauri as the gap was getting in within DRS range. And then they just kept finding something to pull out. Like, can you imagine uh, being on the Alpha Tauri pit wall on Sunday? Yeah, well, it would have been fairly stressful, I think, yes. But they would have been talking <laughs> English, of course. Oh, would they? <laughs> Why? Yeah, well, the team, the technical director is English. The team manager uh-huh. is New Zealander. Uh, Franz Tost is Austrian, but speaks English very good. Um, so basically, yes, I think the team communicate in English, but um, I may be wrong actually because I've never listened in. Mm. But I'm pretty sure that they don't they don't speak Italian most of them, if you know what I mean. I've got some questions from some of our patrons, Joe, and I'll I'll try and slot them in when we're when we happen to be talking about such matters as Gasly Fat Attack. Um, no, I'm sure that's not his Christian name. Has asked how much Gasly, how much has Gasly's stock improved this year? given that he, he was pretty low after his demotion last year. And I guess how much has this win done to his stock in real terms? Like, you'd hope that people aren't just dismissing it as a one-off fluke, but actually a sign of some greater performance. How's it being perceived? Well, it's, it, it's a little bit like um, 
Vettel when he won for Toro Rosso at Monza in, in strange circumstances, mm. 11, whatever, 11, 12 years ago. Um, it, it basically means that Pierre Gasly is a Grand Prix winner. And he's proved it. It's not, it's not just he could win a Grand Prix one day mm, or like yeah. Nicole Hulkenberg, he could be on the podium one day. Um, he's actually done it. And um, I think while Red Bull are not, I mean, if I were Toro Rosso, sorry, I'll say again, if I were Pierre Gasly yeah. uh, and, and Red Bull said, um, unlike, I don't think they would at the moment because it doesn't make any sense to put him up against Max Verstappen. But if, uh, if if the phone rang from let's just say Renault, for example, um, a Frenchman, a Norman even, um, and from Normandy, obviously, which is where Alpine, automobile Alpine, come from, which is also Esteban Ocon. <laughs> there is one slight problem: you could have the brilliant team, you could have Alpine, yeah. Renault, and two Norman drivers, but there's only one tiny, tiny little problem, and that yeah. is that Pierre Gasly and Esteban Ocon, who were friends at the age of eight are not great friends today because of on-track incidents. I mean, they, they they tolerate one another and they're happy to sort of hang out, but they fell out in such a big way that they're not mates and they would be terrible teammates together. So um, the, the two Norman drivers in Formula yeah. One, it's a great time. I live in Normandy, so I'm completely biased. Um, <laughs> but it's a great time for Normandy motor racing. It's really interesting that we're now kind of talking about what, what Gasly's next move like that when we're talking about his stock do you, do you think that teams on the paddock are now looking around and, and going if we have a seat free Gasly's actually pretty high on our list yes absolutely yeah. that's that i mean he has done not just not just the, the win uh in brazil last year the third place but his showings throughout this season have been very very good they're solid um he's always been quick we knew that but you know he was always a little bit um how do i say uh, mentally, um, <laughs> careful, careful. <laughs> I know you have to be careful. You say, mentally unstable, but uh, you know the fact is that he he didn't have all the bits together. Mm. But I I sense that he does have all the bits together. He's a very nice fellow, and I thought one of the nicest things about Monza was him sitting on the podium after he'd done all the <laughs> champagne spraying yes. and just just taking it in because he couldn't cope with it. He just didn't really know how to handle it at all. And there are some brilliant photographs of him sitting on the podium, sort of just going, what is going on? Um, and I think, you know, I think that's put him on the map of all the big guns. Um, and you'd have to say that if I were Gasly, I wouldn't go to Red Bull Racing because Max Verstappen, no, no matter whether you like him or not, is special. He's super special. And therefore, anybody who goes up against him is in trouble. And, um, and you know, Albon's an extremely good driver, and he's extremely good under pressure, and he's getting closer little bit by little bit. He didn't have a particularly good weekend in Monza because the car was badly damaged, so he didn't really achieve much. But come sometime soon, I suspect, we'll see a big result out of Albon just when people start writing him <laughs> off because there's one difference, and that is that Albon isn't letting the pressure get to him, whereas when Gasly was there, against Max, he did. And he suffered as a result of that. So um, I think that Gasly, I don't know how long his contracts with Red Bull go for, but if a um, a top team um, came along, I mean, it's a bit difficult for Mercedes because they have drivers lined up. Yeah, Ferraris have drivers lined up, and to some extent, Renault have drivers lined up. But, you know, you want to have guys who've really shown what they can do and not just ones who've shown potential. So I think 
and you know being French is important um just as uh, for Toro Rosso they need to have they need to get rid of a driver at some point fairly soon in other words bye bye Danny Kvyat because <laughs> there is a Japanese driver yeah. coming up who will have a super license and he seems to be very good He's not necessarily world champion material, but for the Japanese, they're as, they are as chauvinistic as the French in this matter. They want a Japanese driver, and Sonoda right now is, is the man who it's going to be. So if he gets a super license, I would be utterly astonished if he wasn't in a Formula One car into a Rosso next year. That's really interesting. Uh, look, uh, in the chat room here, uh, Barry made a point I was going to make, but I've lost it. There we go, Barry. Um, yeah, I'm wondering about choice. So Barry's comment is Joe, but Pierre is employed by Red Bull. They decide where he goes. Presumably he can't refuse if Christian Horner says, all right, swap seas, let's go. Depends when his contract ends. No, I mean like the next race, like Mugello or like mid-season. Oh, no, he's not, he's not going to leave. You know, put it this way. If, if um, Mercedes-Benz wanted a new driver and they decided that uh, Pierre Gasly was the man they wanted. I have no idea what Red Bull contracts have in them. There might be a clause saying, um, you know, if I get a better offer. It's unlikely that a clause saying, if I get a a call from a top team, you're allowed to take it. Some contracts have that. However, Pierre Gasly's contracts with Red Bull, just because he's been with Red Bull his whole career, doesn't mean he's going to stay with Red Bull. Um, in the long term, he can he can take other options. Yeah, like signs. Sebastian, yeah, just exactly as, as Sebastian Vettel did, or Danny Ricardo did. Yeah, and some sometimes it's a good idea to get out because you know Red Bull is quite not quite there at the moment. So we'll see how it goes as the year goes on. Um, but you know, if you if you look at the constructors' championship at the moment, there's a number of places you might choose to go if they were available. But people are going to start looking at Gasly now in a different light, for sure. Yeah, Human Shield in the chat. Didn't Marco say something about Gasly being a Red Bull driver that's just driving for, for Alpha Tauri? And also, I've personally heard whispers that uh, that Christian Horner is, is trying to really make clear that Gasly is on loan to uh, Alpha Tauri. He's not an Alpha Tauri driver. And it just makes me get this sense that it's at least an option. You're always going to, you know, these guys mm. are going to say stuff like that. But they, they, you know, if I were Pierre, I would be very, very leery about sticking with them. And if you ask Pierre about what happened, he sort of says, "I can't really go into it," which means that he <laughs> thinks he was hard done by. Which means that why would you want to go back and trust the same people who were there before? Yeah, have we got a weird situation? As Christopher Fonseca in our patron. Uh, Slack group uh, asked me uh, which seat is better, number two at Red Bull or number one at Alpha Tauri. So, have you even got Albon there, mate? Going, oh, actually, I don't mind getting a you know, go to Alpha Tauri no, where all you can no, do is Alpha, do well. Alpha Tauri is, is a second, uh, is not on the pace of Red Bull on a normal situation. Something went wrong with Red Bull this weekend. We don't really know what it is because they don't really know what it is, but it's no, you know. I mean, they're completely different sized organizations. They're completely <laughs> different in every respect. Um, and to a large extent, of course, one uses the equipment of the other um, from last year, the 2019 stuff, which they're allowed to use, of course, under the terms of the various agreements. Um, but it's not a, a straight copy of the Red Bull. Um, it's, uh, it's a copy of the 2019 Red Bull. No, you know people get outraged if you copy a 2019 car, Joe. You're not allowed to do that. 
Well, you are actually up to a point. Um, you're allowed to take on lots of it. You have to have your own chassis, obviously, but you know you can take on whole rear end, and and uh, that's what they've done. Um, and you know, good for them. I say I, I, it's always nice to have a little team winning something. Doesn't happen very often because it makes everybody. I mean, it it blows away all this tosh that is um, spoken every time we have a dull race, like yeah. we did in Belgium. Which is unusual. We don't usually have dull races in Belgium, but um, every time we have a dull race, the Twitterati get on their high horses. <laughs> yep, and they and they start going about. We've got to change the rules, so they want to reverse the grids and make people wear red noses and and um, you know <laughs> take away party mode in qualifying and all these silly things, which actually fundamentally um, don't change the situation at all. Actually, I think taking away the, the party mode in qualifying meant that they were able to race on a different level. And I think that's part of the dominance that Mercedes had. I think it worked in their favour, um, which but, is that, – that'll teach them to to argue things they haven't thought through properly. So – but and then every so often that there'll be a race – just to finish that thought. Craig, yeah, yeah, go for it. Um, every so often there'll be a race that just blows everything apart and you go, wow, now that's what's Formula 1. Is all about you know, Pierre Gasly wins a race. I bet there's a number of people when they, if they weren't watching live on TV and that came up on their Twitter feed or whatever, yeah, they would have gone a what <laughs> or WTF yeah. or and, something like that. And then, uh, and then the, you know, and then seen the rest of the grid as well and gone right. I've got to tune into this. But in, in the olden days, Joe, you know, people used to go oh F1. That's you know that's boring. And if you were an F1 fan, you kind of chuckle and go. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I guess it can be sometimes. It's, it's like test cricket, and you go, "Well, it's the experience of watching it. It's not for you. Fine, go just go and go and watch twenty twenty or something else like that." Whereas now we just seem to have knee jerk reaction after knee jerk reaction. The yeah, twenty everybody yeah. wants what the Federation of Wrestling. That's what it is. WWE. Now, the, the fact is, they want instant act action, which is easy to understand. Yeah. Which is, you punch somebody else in the in the face and they fall over. They understand that because basically the viewer is the is the one who needs intelligence. Um, not the not the actual sport itself. So if there are enough stupid people watching it who want to change everything, uh, or youngsters who don't understand they're stupid, that's mm. the other thing. It does happen. Um, you know, we just have to make sure they're not allowed to because they'll mess it up. They'll they'll screw up the sport if they start fiddling with it too much. And I'm only I, I get depressed when older folk who should know better start coming up with ideas like we need to do this brackets to make more money. Well, hang on a minute. It's not just about money. You can destroy things by trying to make money as well. So, you know, if you have reverse grids, you destroy the value of winning. Therefore, you destroy the value of all records that exist in Formula One. You therefore destroy the value of all drivers who've ever existed in Formula One. Because, you know, when you can have a situation where Fred Tosh can start on eight, you know on the grid because he finished eighth and win a race because nobody can overtake him at Monaco, for example. Um, oh, God. You know, that gives that gives Fred Tosh a place in in motor racing history he doesn't deserve, um, and it happens all the time in Formula Two. I do not pay attention to the people who win sprint races in Formula Two because they didn't win a feature race; they won a sprint race. And with a with a reverse grid, that's it doesn't matter. They're, they're tenth rate drivers, you know, who are if you if you if you have the top ten reversed, um, I just hate it. I hate it. <laughs> the passion. 
The passion leaking I, through I, there, Joe. No, no, but it, it is. It's destroying, it's destroying the value of the sport. And they're doing it because they think it'll add more racing. Yes, maybe it does add more racing and people overtake because they have to because, you know, they're being forced into doing daft things. But it's not about that. It's about the purity and the beauty of the sport. And mm. the purity – it's like cricket. I haven't watched cricket since, you know, since the days that they started introducing – um, one day stuff because it just sort of well yeah but that's cricket's not about that cricket's about five day tests where you all get bored at your brain sitting there and yeah and, and, and a, you do the scorecards and things like that you know it's a chunk um, fest isn't it it's not it's not you know it's not there it's to a, blow your socks off it's a cultural it's a cultural thing um, and you know it's a bit like when they those awful Australian people who dressed up all the cricketers <laughs> in, in different colours because they thought it was a good idea. You know, I can't be having with that. Pajama colours. Best best day I've ever had at a <laughs> test match. I don't think I don't think a ball was bowled. Uh, we took the train all the way up to Ed- Edgbaston. I, I think I think it rained the entire day, but it was fantastic, and we enjoyed the rest of it <laughs> on telly as well uh, the following days. Uh, yeah, look, I, I just think that there's a lot more pressure with social media, the algorithms and the SEO will mean you've got a social media guy who's there going, oh, no, I'm getting a thousand ats about this race. We have to do something. He should go and, he should go and get a proper job. Oh, gosh, Joe, don't. This is a good, it's a fine profession, Joe. Uh, but, you know, like 2014, when the hybrids came oh. out and we had, the, you know, that knee-jerk reaction to the slow times initially, and we decided to go, right, we, you know, me and the FIA, decided to go right no we need to make them the fastest most downforcey things ever has completely stifled racing for six or seven years and that was all a knee-jerk reaction because they got plenty fast over the course of you know those next two seasons well exactly in qualifying in uh, in monza we had the fastest ever lap in a formula one uh, average yeah. ever Ever and that's with the the lawn mowers that people didn't like. Um, <laughs> yeah. They weren't fast, weren't this, weren't that. It's not right. Um, our children are no longer going deaf. It's not fair. Mm. You know this kind of rubbish. It, you know these things are fast. They would be way faster if they weren't curtailed. But they have to be curtailed on the grounds of safety to some extent. But anyone who thinks that driving a Formula One car is still a safe occupation is off their trolley, as we saw Ooh. with Charles Leclerc going off at the Parabolica. Um, that was a big old shunt that caused the situation, in fact, that resulted in um, uh, Gasly being able to win the race, largely. <laughs> Before we get off of uh, reverse grids, though, um, I think they are, just to be clear, I think the proposal is to do it as a, to decide the grid. So qualifying on a Saturday replaced with a short sprint race, I'm assuming in reverse championship order, and then they line up on the grid I, in the order they finish. I don't care. It's mm. just rubbish. You know, there is a purity about who's fastest that is good. What I don't mind, and I tweeted this the other day, I think it's a really good idea. If you have to feel the need for change, if you can't accept the realities um, of, you know, okay, the world is changing and people need instant gratification. If you have to react to that, you don't have to, but a lot of people think you do. But if you have to react to that, react at least in a clever way. Formula One is full of very, very clever people. And just reverse grids are not clever. Now, for, for me, one way to do that would be have a situation where you say to the top five or six qualifiers at the end of it, you can take a penalty, a self-imposed penalty of 10 grid positions. And if you win the race, you get 10 extra points. So then you have a strategic element where you actually have to, the teams will start thinking about it and going, 
okay, if that's the case, if we can get 30 points mm. or whatever out of this race weekend, is it worth, can we do it? Can we take the penalty uh, and still win the race? And then you have an element where you're not just randomly changing things. You're giving them the choice to change it in order to look for something to gain. And that's different. And that can be fascinating. That can open up a whole new range of strategic elements. It, it's, a, it's a very good way of adding interest to a race without having any chance involved. And do you know what else that would do? I'm not, I'm not saying you know whether I'm for or against that, but it would also effectively extend the season and make uh, end-of-season finales deciders more likely because it extends the range of points that the gaps could be. It might be, yeah. I, don't, I, haven't, I haven't thought it through to that extent, but I think that if you're going to do it, you give the teams the choice to take a strategic decision that is valuable to them. And that way, there's no element of chance. And, and silly old farts like me who say you can't reverse the top eight yeah. um, will be happy because yeah. that's a, a, thing, a thinking man's answer to the problem. Yeah. Uh, Joe, you and I, though, with these opinions, I think we seem to sort of broadly agree. We are going to lose out because I, I believe they're feeling that pressure on raw numbers and with, you know, big outlets and big personalities going, oh, it's boring, it's boring. They're going to go, oh, no, we're going to lose uh, audience. But like from the point of view with this show, like I could have changed so much about my presenting style and what we do at Missed Apex because loads of people write in and go, oh, that spanners, he's a right knobhead. And I could have sort of, but eventually if you stick to your principles and you stick to what is true to yourself, those people who don't like you will eventually go by the wayside and you're left with an audience who understands what you're trying to do, hopefully. And I think, like, couldn't F1 be a bit more sensitive to that and go, look, let's let's stay true to our principles. We might lose a few but, people in the but short term. But who's, who's complaining? Who is saying this isn't good enough? There are a bunch of people who, one, either don't know what they're talking about or, two, they're, they're on a, a mission. There are, some, there are some members of the press who I think are on a mission, I think probably because their publishers have told them to be, because it just doesn't make sense to me that you have to be endlessly pushing this reverse grid thing. It's about endlessly pushing um, uh, the whole, uh, all these sort of socially aware stuff that motor racing is supposed to do. And you've got these, these people pushing you every question. I mean, there, there was a period of time when taking the knee Every yeah, from some fairly serious outlets, every question was about you know taking the knee. It's not about motor racing; it's about taking the bloody knee. Um, and I just got the impression that there were agendas going on there that were not normal. And um, and it's the same with reversing grids. The minute they have the opportunity, they're back to let's reverse the grid because this is boring. It's not boring. And if you don't like it, go watch snooker if you want boring. You know, or whatever. <laughs> you know, is there, there's, there's, there's plenty. Of, it is boring sometimes. Not that I'm a regular snooker viewer these days, but yeah, you have high po- you have high points in snooker. You have high points in everything. I've seen a number of football games. It's rubbish. You know, you just they just kick it around until it's time to stop, and then because they need to add some excitement, they do some penalties, and some idiot gets it wrong. Well, yeah. Joe, if you just if you tuned into Colchester United, the world's greatest ever football team, you'd, you'd understand what real football seems like. But I've got a question uh, about a different F1 team, uh, Pierre Gasly's victory aside and us yelling at clouds uh, being done and dusted. Um, Osliam in the Slack group says, what are Joe's thoughts on the Renault Alpine rebranding? What does it say about Renault's commitment to F1? What's the skinny? Why are we calling it Alpine downhill? Renault skiing F1 next year? Because it's brilliant. 
it's an absolutely brilliant thing to do. Renault has been this big global massive dullness producing reps cars for generations. And Hello. that's yours, not mine. No, don't you don't <laughs> it's your it's your um someone with extra pillows for you, Joe, I think they're bringing you. I don't want you missing out on those. Oh, you don't you know mean- the code. No, that's the code in um, in hotels in the olden days. So you are asked for extra pillows when you wanted some companionship. If you need to answer that, Joe, you go answer it. It's fine. It could be Toto. They're, they're, they're interrupting me. No, I think it's probably... Go away. Right, there you go. Awesome, I'm uh, leaving all oh, sorry, that in. Sorry, Oh, for goodness sake. Just <laughs> You'll have to mute yourself. I'll, I'll entertain the kids for a minute. <laughs> okay, guys. Well, whilst, uh, whilst Joe... Uh, I hope he's muted himself anyway. Whilst Joe answers the telephone, I'll remind you that we are a Patreon-supported podcast. You can support us at patreon.com forward slash missed apex. Patreon.com forward slash missed apex you can also uh, come and see joe in zoom form uh, as joe puts on a number of live audiences we did one just last week with uh, 50 people on a zoom call there was enough time for everybody to get questions in very different to this um if you've ever been to any of joe's live audiences you'll know what it entails um and i think we've actually got pretty close to that live experience over zoom and everybody's loved it so look out um, uh, on mistapexpodcast.com forward slash Joe. That's where we announce and make available tickets for future audiences. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Joe, who was it? Was it Toto? I don't know. I didn't actually answer it. I just put, put, put it off the thing, I put it down again, and then took it off the hook so they can't oh, bring me back. Commitment. Alpine, uh, Renault. Yeah, yeah, Alpine, Renault. Um, Renault is fundamentally a dull brand. It's a dull brand um, that doesn't excite people. And Alpine is a brand that does excite people that doesn't sell a lot of cars. They sold 5,000 cars last year, and it's one of the – that car they've built – the A110 is a fantastic, absolutely fantastic car. And and Luca De Mayo, I was at the little function he did for a handful of people in Monza, and he and he was going on about what a fantastic car this was and how he'd driven it when he was still in charge at Seat 
and just thought, you know, hat, I'll take my hat off to these Renault guys. That's a brilliant, brilliant car. But they hadn't sold a lot of them. So he said, well, uh, why, why are we doing this? Why are we wasting this brand? Yeah. Let's build it up. Let's turn it into a Porsche because that's the kind of car it is. Let's do what Porsche has done. Um, and we can ramp up sales. We can do a bunch of other things that go around the car by mm-hmm. having a sexy brand. And the other thing about Renault, remember, is that in in the overall um, scheme of things, although Renault is a, a global brand and a very big producer along with Nissan, um, it has almost zero impact in the world's two biggest car company, uh, two biggest car markets, China and the United States. Really? Renault, Renault barely exists in either one of those. So if you want to go and sell some stuff, get a sexy brand like Alpine and, and go and tell the Chinese Alpine is the, is the absolutely the best thing they've ever seen. And this Alpine saying, what is it to the Americans, you know? And you can sell more cars and get a sexy image. And that's basically the thinking of, a, as, mm. as uh, DeMeo said, you know, I'm a car guy. And that is the thinking of a car guy. And I think it's just brilliant. And we'll have French Racing Blue back again, which is, you know, for me, it's part of the sport. You've got to have a car with, with a sort of French blue in it. And we haven't had one of those for quite a while now um, because the last French Racing Blue car was, of course, as you know, I'll let you finish the that Pro- sentence. The, the, the Prost, probably, <laughs> I would say. And that's nearly 20 years ago, mm. which is a very long time. Ligier was always the famous one. But to have that back, and, it, and I've, seen, I've seen some of the livery uh, designs, although we're not allowed to actually publish them Ooh. at the moment because they're still um, working. Uh, they're working documents, if you like. There's one, there's one image of what the car might look like um, that has appeared. But there's some side-on shots where the you know the front end of it you see French blue, mm. from the side you see the tricolore red, Ooh. white, and blue. Okay. And looking down from the top, you see French blue at the front, and there's sort of makings of a Union Jack at the back because, of course, Renault is a team that is split between France and Britain. And, and stone. It, whole, yeah. It, it's an absolutely fantastic livery, um, and I think it's just terrific and as he said you know formula one is about having sexy brands and he said next year we'll have aston martin we'll have ferrari we'll have mclaren we'll have mercedes um, mercedes obviously and we will have alpine and that makes it sexy and okay alfa romeo's there yeah. but you know italian <laughs> rust buckets you know they could do oh, better than no that. no joe we're going to get so many complaints please email joe not me not me i, I don't care if you get complaints that's what they are um get maserati use that that's a decent brand I love my and, Alpha. And, yeah, well, you may have done, but did it, is it still going? Did I, it fall apart? Yes, but I had to, and I had to drive around with oil. Like yeah, oil. you see, if you have a Toyota, <laughs> you see it goes on forever. Yeah. You get to three hundred forty-five thousand kilometers, and you think, oh, it's going to break down one day. But no, it hasn't. It keeps going. You know. So unlike an Alpha, which they, they sort of die at seventeen thousand, don't they? Something like that. You know. Yeah. Uh, Carl Power on the panel drives an Alpha. I, I don't know. I love it. It felt fantastic to drive, but yes, it, it didn't last very long. Um, you're right about the branding. You, you think of Renault, and like we've got a Renault in our front yard. Uh, you know, the wife and kids drive around in it, a very dependable sort of mini SUV. Uh, great car, but you don't associate it with, you know, Monaco sunglasses. It's not sexy. Yeah, you don't turn up um, to pick up some, some six foot babe driving a Renault whatever they are do you babes of all heights and sizes are available uh but um <laughs> with alpine renault it's still renault it's still a french team it's still got yeah. that badge on it so it's not like it's not like a weird rebrand it's not actually that 
it's not that different you know it's just adding the word alpine in front of it i, I think it's, it makes complete sense and it's it's not overly jarring so yeah yeah it seems all right um the, the well, it's also yeah. it's also got a history you know the very first renault f1 car was an alpine did you know that no the a, the alpine a500 was a prototype formula one car which alpine built or alpine as i'm supposed to say alpine built for renault in 1976, and when they started testing it, the first turbo car in Formula One history, when they started testing it, they thought, okay, this is good enough. And so they bought Alpine, and it came under the Renault banner. But the very first Renault F1 car, the very first Formula One turbo car was an Alpine. Actually, it was also Gordini was involved in that. And I, I'd love to see Gordini coming back as a brand too. And I think that's a sexy brand because that's got a long raising history too. But we'll give DeMeo some time. I think yeah. he's probably got his ideas. You'll, you'll probably see instead of the Renault Clio Cup, which is about as dull as it comes, you know, yeah. we, we might get things like the Gordini Cup or something like that. Alpine you know, he's in, this guy's into selling cars. He's into selling lots of cars and he's into making Renault exciting. And previous bosses have been into making Renault industrially dull, like Fiat, you know, <laughs> dull. Yeah, I, I, look, I mean, I've long said, you know, Renault, everyone's 10th favourite F1 team, but just because <laughs> there's nothing that seems to sort of strike out and, and bite. Uh, some interesting stuff um, from the, the team radios. Uh, Vivek, really hope I pronounced that right, in the chat room, um, was wondering about your uh, your view on the Ocon post-race radio um I, I don't know if you caught it but he was trying to talk about missed opportunities and uh his his team radio they really shut him down harshly they shouted over him and said no we'll talk about this later in the office in the office ocon's trying to say yeah i know but look you know next time we could you know take the-. it was really nothing it was really mundane and they cut him off and they shut him down again it was it was it was bizarre so i, I wondered if you had any insight on that no i didn't even know oh, i didn't about catch it. that all oh, right. Okay. Sorry, Vivek. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it, I don't know. It, it's it's the, the radio is a double edged sword. It can add to the thing and it can cause problems. Um, and you know, if Esteban was saying what could have been, I yeah. entirely agree with him. That could have been um, it. Could have been a big result for them, bigger than it was. Also for McLaren, obviously. You know, they were all caught out in the middle by the way things happened but they were going very strongly before and they could have had a podium probably either one of them. In fact, I think McLaren should have had a win actually, to be honest. Um, that was a, they were in such a good position at one point. Um, obviously Renault, uh, not Renault, obviously no one was ever going to beat Lewis out on his own. He was yeah. gone. You know, he was just gone. He, 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 he was not touchable at all, but that's what happens sometimes. He missed. He missed two light signals, and that's the end of that. I think why people were so intrigued by this radio message, and it's definitely one uh, to, to worth looking up um, somewhere on, online, um, is that it, the team's got Alonso to deal with next year, and if they can't yeah. handle Ocon talking about a missed opportunity, they're really not going to enjoy Fernando in full swing. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the, the slight difference there, I suppose, is that the person who will be talking down the radio. Um, will have worked with Alonso before. Really? But yeah, I think so. Um, it'll be Alan Permain. I'm pretty sure he's uh, he's worked with Alonso over many years. I mean, he's been at Renault longer than the uh, the light shades. Um, so I don't know. I, I do think that taking on Fernando Alonso is a massive risk. 
And I know that um, there was a, not everybody thought it was a great idea. <laughs> you know, some of them didn't think it's a good idea, but obviously the ones who were important made that decision um, and overruled some of the, uh, some of the lesser people who may or may not know more about motor racing and uh, Fernando Alonso than the people who made that decision. So uh, I think we're going to have some hijinks. I'm sure that Alonso has told them all that he's changed man. He'll never be the same again, but of course he's going to be the same again. You know, leopards don't change their spots and he will be his usual passionate out of control lunatic self um, when things aren't going his way. Yeah. And um, <laughs> to be quite honest, it wouldn't, you know, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. But he's still, he's an exciting driver. He's a character. He's a global brand. And if you're, you know, if you're promoting Alpine as a global brand, um, having Alonso is better value than having somebody else. Um, you know, having a, you could have had a Bottas, for example. Yeah. Um, and while Bottas would have done the job on the racetrack, Bottas doesn't really excite as a, as a global brand at the moment. It doesn't mean he can't ever, but um, you know, he, he's not, he's not sort of uh, he's not like going to the circus, is he? You know, whereas, and, and Fernando Alonso is like going to the circus. You know? Wow. You're, he, you're yeah. harsh on Fernando. And so is Patrick here in the live chat, arrogant past his prime, self-important 41 year old being brought back into the team. How could that be a bad decision? Oh, Patrick, you're a hard man. Well, he's also a jolly good racing driver. Patrick. And, and that, you know, that, oh, no, Fernando. Right, Fernando. <laughs> that, I was going to say, is that Patrick Head on it? But um, no, I think, I think that uh, you, know, you can knock Fernando for being all of those things, um, and you can build a case in most cases, not all of it, but um, he's still a very good racing driver, and that mm. is really ultimately the key. If he's not a good racing driver anymore, well, he should be thrown out in his ear instantly. But, you know, he's... He's still very good and he's very exciting. I'll make the case for the defence. Uh, you know how Lewis Hamilton can come across a bit odd sometimes to people and not very racing drivery because he lives in a different bubble because he's a megastar. Alonso's the same. Alonso is a two-time world champion. He's an absolute megastar. He's a brand ambassador. He is passionate. He's fiery. He's probably one of the best racers we've seen in F1. And that's why he comes across as a bit odd sometimes. He's He's in an Alonso bubble. You know, he's, a, he's a different kind of odd to Lewis. <laughs> yeah. But um, I know what you're saying. Um, and I think it's because he, Fernando's often surrounded himself with some people who probably don't do him any good. Yes, man. Um, That's what I need. Yeah. Something like that. But just people like Briatore and, and other people <laughs> like that, you know, they, they, they're not necessarily good for you. Fair enough, Joe. Joe, I want to move on because there's two things I, I desperately want to ask you about before we run out of time. Um, the first one I want to touch on is just your thoughts on uh, the departure of the Williams family. I know you're very, very fond uh, of Frank Williams and Claire Williams uh, officially announced that that, that Monza would, was going to be and will be now um, her last her last race in charge. And it's, it's the end of I, an era. I, I, th I thought that was one of the most bizarre press releases I've ever seen. Um, Claire Williams will be, you know, Claire Williams isn't the story. Frank Williams is the story. Mm. Claire Williams has achieved zip, nothing. And um, the fact that her name is Williams doesn't make her... This, I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing all weekend. There was this sort of cult of Claire. Claire Williams took the team to where it had to do that. Frank Williams was the man who made Williams. Um, and I was just astonished by the press release, absolutely astonished, that a team could put that out. Frank is the story on that one. And uh, 
Frank's a big mate of mine over the years. Um, and of course I'm sad to see it. It's, it's one of the great brands. Um, I asked Keki Rosberg the other day, this is just to give you an idea of what Frank means. I asked Keki Rosberg in an email, um, can you give us a quote? Because you know, Frank leaving the sport and I got a message back and it said, I haven't given a quote in 10 years, but because it's Frank <laughs> and he gave me a quote and that tells you everything you need to know about Frank Williams. I spoke to Zach Villeneuve, who is well known in, in his um, ability to criticize the Williams team of, of, of the modern era. And he said, at the end of it all, he said, I had the best time when I was there. I won the world championship. They're fantastic people. And the team will rise again if it's run by racers. And they have the racer mentality. And that pretty much for me summed it up. You know, the family is leaving. Um, but the family, in terms of the spirit of winning, that, mm. went, that went a long time ago, five years ago, at least. And, uh, you know, if you, if you can only do this with a Mercedes engine, it's pathetic, really. Mm. So it's a good time to go. They've got loads more money than you would have thought likely. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we don't to need be honest, to, yeah, we don't need to whip well, around, just, do we? <laughs> no, no, no. They'll, they'll all live happily ever after. And, uh, but I just think you should give credit where credit's due. And the credit goes to Frank Williams, to Ginny Williams, and to Patrick Head, because those were the three who made that team. And the, the one good thing that Claire did do when she was there, uh, really, I mean, I'm not saying she did everything bad, but she made lots of bad decisions along the way too. But the one good thing she did do was she made that film or had that film made mm. about her mother and the role that her mother had played in that racing team. And that, for me, uh, is very valuable. And it's good to see that that uh, her her role was recognised because it wasn't before. No question about it. She also, by the way, she also wrote the greatest book about motor racing you will ever read called A Different Kind of Life, Yeah, which was the story of uh, her and Frank. And um, I've never read a better book about motor racing because it's the only book I've ever read about motor racing that was honest, totally mm. honest. Uh, and it was brutal sometimes. And uh, she hated it over, in, eventually. She said, I said to her one day, we were talking about it, and I said, it's the best book I've ever read about motor racing. She sort of winced and she sort of said, well, every time you see a copy, can you buy it and destroy it? And I went, no. Oh, <laughs> oh, that's a and Frank's never read it. <laughs> that's wonderful. He really, and Joe, really hasn't. Joe I've, I've heard you talk really passionately about the, the Williams family at your live audiences as well. So I, 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 know, I know where that passion comes from, having heard you, you know, talk about it at great length. With Claire, I think... The slight case for the defence, I think, yes, she didn't achieve anything in particular, but the passion was still there. Um, I had an ex-team member uh, telling me that they were trying to congratulate her on her pregnancy, and she said, I'd, I'd rather be further up the grid, to be honest. You know, it was still all about racing for Claire. So, And the slight case for the defence was, I would say, that running that kind of last of the great privateer teams in F1 was an almost impossible job from from the start. So I just wanted to put that that slight no, case for the defence. So I, I yeah I agree that she's passionate about it to some extent, but I don't think they're the last of the great privateer teams <laughs> because 
the, the Stroll family. Everyone seems to have forgotten oh, that they yeah. exist. Okay, yeah, fair. You know, <clears throat> there is still a family-run team in Formula One, mm-hmm. um, and you know that's not going to change anytime soon. The, the fact was that the Williams team just made a lot of bad decisions along the way um, and went from being a manufacturer team at the very front end to being a tail ender with Mercedes engines. How can you be a tail ender with Mercedes engines? That, to me, tells you an awful lot. And so you have to, you have to say that there's no reason that that team was at the back apart from leadership. And, and you know, call me harsh if you like, but yep. that is... That is the reality. There is no other possible explanation. And so good good for her for having the courage to do it, to take on a task that was very difficult. But let's not dress it up to be um, anything more than the fact that they got out with money, good for them. But, it, you know, it's not the team that, that, that uh, it was. But it, hopefully it will be in the future. Good. And the brand will live on, and hopefully they'll use the brand more. And Williams will have a will have a another life, um, a renaissance. Well, uh, the last the last um, segment I really wanted to ask you about was uh, Ferrari. I've got a few questions here lined up from listeners, but I, I know that you, yeah, that's when I mentioned Ferrari before the show. You just took a deep breath and went, "Yeah, all right, put it on the list." Um, yeah, I think you know. I said on Sunday, I think they had a bit of a lucky escape, to be honest. Monza having both cars retired, thankfully. Leclerc came out of that, that accident completely fine, but it sort of masked the fact that they were pretty much lost anyway. Yeah, well, Ferrari is in the mess it's in because of its own it's its own fault. It, it's got where it is today because it's made the wrong decisions. Now, they can go on saying um, uh, it, it's unfortunate, blah, 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 but they made those decisions mm. just as Williams made their decisions and, you know, and, that, and they're suffering for it. They will go on suffering for it for years to come. This is not going to go away next year. And um, I think that there's potential now for having more damage to the Ferrari brand than ever before because they're going to be also rands for quite a long time. Mm. Yeah. And... Uh, that's generally speaking, people don't buy Ferraris because they they're, they're good on the racetracks. They buy Ferraris because it's a sign of I've got loads of money, gold chains kind of thing. You know that's what Ferraris are for me. I'm you know I have a maybe a different view. Of the, they have a different view of the Ram brand, right. but for me, it's it's nouveau riche people who are trying to tell everyone they've got. A, you know, look at me, I've got loads of money. Yeah, um, and you know that that may not be dented by the fact that they're going to be rubbish on the racetrack. Um, for a while to come, but you know, <laughs> oh, sorry, John M's just jumped in there with maybe Ferrari should do the opposite of Renault and rebrand to Fiat for a few years while they're at the back. <laughs> Lancia, I think, but they're not actually part of the same group anymore. So, oh, okay. um, but no, I mean, you know, Auto Bianchi, something like that. But yeah, somebody said that they're going to have a new livery. Uh, this weekend, and I thought the best thing we'd do would be to paint it black and put some silver stars on it, Ooh. in the hope that nobody notices that they're at the back. You know, so uh, but, um, is this the thousandth race coming up? Before yes, I, it is. Yeah. Mugello is the one thousandth race, and it's terribly sad because it's going to be an embarrassment. Um, and you know, just as the last two have been embarrassing, but mm. they got there. They made the decisions that got them there themselves, and there is no one else to blame. And you know, I'm. I've, I'm a fan of Ferrari on and off, depending on who's running it. And, 
Okay. Um, you know, it, no, because it makes a big difference because the way you look at things and the way you look at the Ferrari um, brand changes from leader to leader. And you, you'd be surprised by some of the people who I actually thought had it right um, and some who didn't. Are you talking team principles? Yes, team principles. Okay, okay, okay. okay. Uh, Dominicali had it right. Fan- fantastic bloke, yeah. But he ended up getting let go, didn't he? No, he let himself oh, go. Oh, he let himself go, right, okay. He let himself go because he realised that he couldn't do anything more than he'd done. Right. And and when you get that kind of realisation and you're a smart and clever bloke like Stefano is, <laughs> there's only going down from there. Because if you can't fix the team to make it into a winning um, operation and you've tried everything for a long period of time, your only option is to get out before it turns bad on you. And he did. And he's mm. gone on to greater things. Uh, Arriva Bene, most people didn't have any time at all for him. But I yeah, thought he was, a, he was, a, no, no, he, he may be a little bit frightening, but he was, his, his heart was in the right place. He had the passion. Uh, Mattiacci, who lasted for a year, good bloke. And good bloke with a good understanding of what Ferrari meant um, and what was important about Ferrari. And, you know, I just don't think that, um, the current thinking at Ferrari is what is best for Ferrari. Uh, I think that they they need to adopt a, a more um, well. They just need to play straight mm. and, and and just go and go racing again. <laughs> Enzo Ferrari would be spinning in his grave. Honestly, he would be spinning in his grave. But Bonato's yeah. made some really uh, baffling comments. I mean, well, not so baffling was when he was calling for, he was saying the best thing for Ferrari now is stability, says Boss presiding over a disaster at Ferrari. And then when Quest, I'm so glad the Sky team pushed him on this. Um, he talked about the Racing Points uh, decision and saying, you know, we need transparency. I'm so glad they turned around and said, Oh, transparency, like with your private agreement over the engine. And he had the audacity to reply with, oh, no, that's completely different. No, no, no. They, those situations aren't the same at all. Uh, but, yeah, so he doesn't seem to play with a but, straight but, bat. But it, the thing about the secret deal is that it's fantastically transparent when you stop <laughs> yeah. and think about it. Because Jean Todt is obviously clearly cleverer than Benotto because... First of all, if you announce a secret agreement, it's a bit like putting a neon sign on yeah. it and saying, ask questions about this, yes. investigate this. Um, and secondly, it was an agreement. He got Ferrari to accept something. We don't know what it was they accepted, but whatever the alternative was, was worse. Mm. So that tells you that Ferrari did something bad. And whether you can prove it or not, they accepted an agreement that was bad for them. Mm. Therefore, you can only logically, philosophically come to the conclusion that whatever they did before that was really bad. Yeah. So I, you can't say definitely they were cheating, but you can't say they weren't cheating. But they are being punished. So actually, I think there's a glorious transparency about the uh, completely opaque agreement. <laughs> um, which I quite like, and I and I and I take my hat off to Jean Todd for, for engineering that um, in a very clever way. And the ultimately clever thing is, and I don't know if this is uh, part of the thinking or not, but he got them to agree to this deal, and then uh, everything got frozen after that because of the mm. uh, pandemic. So it went from being a situation whereby, okay, we'll accept that, but uh, we can fix things because. 
we can upgrade the engine next year to a sudden, oh, we can't upgrade the engine next year. Oh, now we're really in deep trouble. Mm. Um, whether that was deliberate, whether that was taking advantage of the circumstances, whatever, um, you know, Ferrari is being punished for something. We don't know what it is they're being punished for. And it's a very, it's a very, I know this is a tautology, but it's a very punitive punishment. It's like a real punishment punishment. And they're, they're like someone saying like, does John Todd not like Ferrari anymore? Like it just seems, it seems very no, no, hard. John Todd doesn't <laughs> want his record at Ferrari to be overbeaten <laughs> by anyone in the future, does he? So, I mean, I'm not saying he's going to do that, but mm. uh, the fact is that John Todd is a guy who, who knows how to change hats. When you change hats, you leave all your baggage behind. Yeah, and that's it's an interesting interesting point. Um, if you look at um, not that not that we know this for definite, but the the new Concord Agreement has this thing about if you've been a team principal or a shareholder in a team in the previous three years, you cannot be the new CEO yeah. of mm. Formula Group without Ferrari's agreement. Wow, and that's there. It's there's no question about it. There is a clause in the contract. It's there. And because that Toto Wolf was going to be um, coming in and taking over as CEO of the Formula One group, and Ferrari said, no, we don't want that. But actually, I kind of agree with it because mm. the ability to switch and go into a, the new job without taking any baggage, the people you've had problems with in the past, you can't take over the governing body um, and, and be fair unless the, the past is left behind. So uh, I, I don't think that's wrong. I think the best thing for Formula One would not be to have someone who's on the inside. I think we need to have big picture people who understand outside the world of Formula One because very often we get very blinkered um, in, in our views of the real world. And it's good to have people who understand. I mean, they don't, they don't necessarily understand that reversing grids is a bad idea, <laughs> but we, we can at least talk them around, Yeah, you know. Um, but it is, it, it's good to have people who have, have big pictures who think about things that Formula One doesn't think about. Uh, a few quick ones, Joe, before you, before you uh, go off back on your tours of, um, of Italian uh, suburbs and provinces. The, the, um, I've got a plan. Yeah. I know what you're doing. I know what the rest of your day is going to be, eating pizza. And well, Why are you trying to not eat pizza no. in Italy, by the way? What's the point? What's the point in being in Italy and not eating pizza? That tweet of yours made me angry and hungry. Well, it's not good for you, pizza, you know. You're in Italy, though, Joe. It's not about being good for you. It's about eating delicious pizza that you can't get anywhere uh, else. It's n never okay, as good. I'll, I'll take your word for it. All right, good. Sorry, got that off my chest. I've also got a plan <laughs> to find out what the secret Ferrari deal was. Um, seeing as you're a fantastically wealthy, accredited F1 journalist, if you say on the show Ferrari were definitely cheating and then they come at you legally, you can pay for all the lawyers and then they'll have to reveal how they proved that they weren't cheating. <laughs> no oh come on joe it sounds, it sounds like a splendid idea apart from one slight flaw in the argument there mm -hmm. um which is that um lawyers are something that there's no journalist in the world who can afford lawyers <laughs> it's publishers who have lawyers oh right okay and, and big companies but journalists don't you know we are we're not we're not brad pitt you know fair enough fair enough um, even if even if we eat in every scene you know yeah. Right, okay, so Joe decided to start eating his lunch just as we started. That was the slight delay to the stream. And I asked him, who does he think he is? Brad Pitt. Because Brad Pitt eats in all the scenes. So thought I'd just explain that. Uh, right, uh, McLaren. McLaren. Quick question from... Well, there's two quick questions. We'll make it quick fire, Joe. Um, Stu's got a question about McLaren. Could McLaren really be about to make the jump back to being a top three team? 
given how well they're doing this year, plus stable regs, a Mercedes power in, uh, unit for next season, it's all looking terribly good. Except that the last point in that list of points is the reason they can't be. Because a Mercedes customer engine will only ever get you second. Yeah, but that's top three. That was okay, it's top, it's top three. But the fact is that a customer engine will only get you, except in extraordinary circumstances like last weekend, it will <laughs> only get you to second place behind the main factory team of the person you're working with. And that's the best case scenario. So what in order to get back at the top properly, as McLaren used to be, mm. um, they need a manufacturer behind them. And or they need to do their own engines uh, and become a manufacturer in their own right, which are the, these are the two options they have. It's very expensive to do. But, it, you know, if you hire the right people um, nowadays, it can be possible because the knowledge is out there. OK, uh, Joe, just a bit, a bit of a tangent, but can you ever see F1 getting to the point where people just get fed up trying to match Mercedes engines? And you can only really do well if you've got a Mercedes engine nowadays. So can you just see the time yeah, where we've got a spec no, Mercedes no, no, engine? But no, look at look at the engines. They're all pretty close now. I mean, okay, Mercedes' success is not just about engine. If you look at the things to analyze the engine performance, you'll see that uh, Renault and Honda are pretty much on it now in terms of uh, it's the chassis yeah. and, and get, getting the extra. Because what happens in every kind of engine formula is over time everybody catches up because the knowledge goes out there and – the ability to do it gets cheaper um, and finding extra gets harder. So if you leave a formula for a long time, it generally ends up with a lot of people being competitive at the end. Yeah. When you change the rules completely and get a new formula, somebody goes ahead because they're cleverer and rich and then everyone else has to catch up. Yeah. So, you know, there's another four or five years um, when it's a good time, uh, I think, People say it's not, you know, nobody's going to come in. I disagree. There's, there's, a, there's a four, five-year period in which the, the information that is out there is available. There are people, Andy Cowell's on the market, for God's yeah. sake. You want to build a competitive Formula One engine, you hire <laughs> Andy Cowell, you give him 18 months, and you've got three years of winning left or three years of being competitive left. It's, it's not rocket science. You know, you need to put together a facility that can build an engine. You need to know the secrets of how to do it, and Andy knows that. So, you know, hire him and a bloke from Ferrari or actually don't hire anyone from Ferrari. Hire him or a bloke from somewhere else and, um, and just get download the secrets and off you go. I've heard that uh, at Ferrari, the, uh, Derek, the fuel flow engineer, uh, has he's recently been put out of a job. So he, he, he's available to hire. John Pollard points out that... De Derek, I'm sorry, Derek doesn't sound awfully likely. I think he's more likely Giuseppe Giovanni. That's a bit uh, racist, Luigi. but okay. Uh, John Pollard points oh, out... It's racist if it's Derek, isn't it? <laughs> John Pollard points out that uh, McLaren are already beating their manufacturer works team this season. They are at the moment, yeah. Mm. Um, but I'm not sure that they're going to beat Renault at every place this year. I think you'll see that Renault will be overall probably better than they are. Um, but yes, it happens. It does happen that you can, if you're a very clever people, you can beat your engine supplier, but generally doesn't last awfully long. <laughs> Joe, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for dropping into the shed from that there, Italy. Uh, before we go, are you optimistic about Mugello? You see how I've got eight last questions in on this show. Are you optimistic? Yeah, I, I noticed that. It's very Matt Trumpetsy, isn't it? One hour, five minutes. Not bad. Yeah. Are you optimistic? Uh, Good I, race? I, uh, I doubt... 
Well, we've never, we've, I, I went to Mugello in 1984. That was my last visit. <laughs> and um, I don't get the impression that it's a racetrack where there'll be a lot of overtaking going on um, because it's fast flowing corners. Now, we don't know because we haven't seen it in action, but the drivers who run it in sims say that it's going to be very hard to overtake. So we'll see. Um, it's nice to go somewhere uh, different. It's nice to go into the hills of Tuscany. It's nice to uh, celebrate to <laughs> Ferrari's 1,000th Grand Prix because, you know, for 900 or so of the races, Ferrari's been a bonus for Formula mm. One. Um, it's nice to be in Italy, even if one doesn't eat pizza. And, uh, and uh, yeah, that's it, really. And we're getting, you know, we're getting in the races to make it a proper championship this year, which is important. And we're showing the world that you can have sporting events um, in the pandemic. Um, so there's lots of positives to be had from it. Um, and then next, next race after that, we're going to Russia, where we shall show the world that we can actually fly to foreign events too, which is going to be more interesting because it's quite hard to get there. And will they have a crowd at Sochi? Uh, I believe they're planning to do so, mm. but I honestly don't know. I mean, yeah. Well, who knows? I, I mean, yeah. you know, sometimes it's quite hard to figure out what some of these governments are doing <laughs> and what's allowed and what's not allowed. So, Brilliant. There we go. Williams Racing has just appointed Simon Roberts as the acting team principal. Oh, okay. So, Who's that? Uh, what's that? Simon. Yeah. Simon is a... Simon is a uh, a former McLaren man for many, many years, very good fellow. And I think probably the reason the team was on the upward path. Um, so that's only acting team principal, though. He's already the managing director of racing, which was a very good appointment, to be fair. Mm. That was, I, I thought that was a very sound thing to do when they put him in. Um, and Simon's biggest um, achievement thus far, if you like, he was at McLaren for many, many years, but he was, he was parachuted into Force India for a year at one point mm. to get them sorted out because they were a McLaren customer for various bits and pieces. So they loaned him out and he did a good job before Otmar came in. Right. Um, so, so is and he, then is he, Simon yeah. went back to McLaren after that. Is he an engineering guy? Is he a money guy? No, he's an engineer. He's an engineering guy with a background in, um, ooh, I'd say British aerospace off the top of my head, but I'd need to check on that because I haven't, looked at his CV for a while, but um, he's one of the, the sort of um, a group of McLaren people who came in as, as the teams got to big corporate sizes, people like Jonathan Neal um, came in from big industry mm. um, and, uh, and they, they put together structures, which is one of the things that Williams failed to do, which is to put in a structure that worked, you know, running a team. Gore-Tex is a famous company. I don't know if you know the story of oh, Gore-Tex, but they yes. but they create a new company every time their company gets to a certain level of people. I think it's 300. And they start another company. Oh. Because every company loses um, their way when they have more than 300. When everyone doesn't know everybody else, a company loses its way quite often. The Gore-Tex way of doing it is just to start another company doing parallel things so you know you'll take gloves or something out of the main thing and they will do the gloves and that will build up um but some of the formula one teams and i think williams is a very good example did not make the transition from the 300 to a thousand employees very successfully uh, and i think that mclaren did and it was because they brought in these people from aerospace anyway that's a long answer to the question but that's simon simon roberts is the acting um tp 
Yeah, I hear what you're saying. We should spin off the tyres section of Missed Apex podcast into a Matt Trumpets only subsidiary podcast. I like it. Cor- uh, correct. So when you get to 300 readers, which will take about 30 <laughs> years given that subject. But- <laughs> <laughs> then that spins off again to hubs. Uh, as exactly. well. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Joe, uh, you can be found um, via your blog. So search for Joe Blogs F1. That's where people can find you, uh, where you write in the fantastic green notebook, which is a an F1 blog like no other. I think that's possibly true. Yes, I must go and do one of those right now. And look what I've just found in front of me. Oh, there it is, the green notebook itself. And uh, anything else you need to plug, Joe, before we go? No, I don't think so. Oh, okay. Um, you, can well, always follow me, you can always follow me on Twitter because it's always go. full of good ideas and silly comments. So. And my Twitter feed is, um, ooh, what's that? Joe Saywood at Twitter. That'll be the one. And also I produce a thing called Grand Prix Plus magazine, which is fabulous. And it comes out six hours after a race. We're actually faster than Missed Apex, I think. You're not a podcast. I know, but we produce a hundred page magazine six hours after each race, full of lots of lovely pictures and stuff. And it's a work of, it's it's a miracle. People are still going, how is that possible? Jokes on you. uh, I don't know how to read. It's also cheaper than chips. So even poor people who can't read like spanners can probably (laughs) afford it. Go and find all Joe's stuff. If you search Joe Saywood, um, you'll find him. And it is twitter.com forward slash Joe Saywood if you want to do the URL to get to his Twitter handle. Uh, We have been Inside F1 with Mr. Apex Podcast and Joe Saywood. We will be here for the Mugello Grand Prix until we see you next. That's Sunday, by the way. No, go on. Oh, what Grand Prix? The Tuscan Grand Prix, please. Oh, I was never going to remember all of that. Now do I edit it? I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. We will be back here on Sunday at 8 p.m. for the Tuscan Grand Prix. Until next time, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Missed Apex. There's no evidence that I got that wrong. No one will ever know. (laughs) Haha, got away with it, Joe. What are you going to do about it from Italy? That that little little red light that's bleeping in the corner means that I've recorded it. Ah, curse you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian-developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. 
But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.